All right, 2 Samuel chapter 7, King David has moved the capital of Israel to Jerusalem. He's moved the ark to Jerusalem. The tabernacle is set up in Jerusalem. He is, uh, he is ruling from Jerusalem. The Lord has given him a time of peace from, all, from his enemies all around. And, uh, and he's sitting, uh, I'm going to say, the, the Bible says he's sitting in his house made of cedar, but I'm going to say he's sitting out on his deck. That's kind of the way I envision it. He's sitting out on his deck with the prophet Nathan. He's looking around and he realizes, I've got this big, beautiful house that I'm living in that's been created for me by the cedar wood that came from Lebanon. And he looks over at the, at the, at the Lord's house and he sees a tent. And he says to Nathan, that's not right. We should get a, we should, the Lord's house should have a, have a nice house to live in too. And, and Nathan says, well, do whatever's in your heart. Do what's in your heart. And, and then Nathan, later that night, the Lord meets with Nathan and says, uh-uh, uh-uh, you spoke too soon, Nathan. I want you to go back and I want you to tell him. Tell, I want you to tell him a few things, you know. And he goes, he says, tell him this. I'm going to pick up in verse 6 for the sake of context. And I'm just going to kind of read it down there so we can make sure we understand. He says, uh, Nathan, or the Lord tells Nathan, say, for I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I was brought, since I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt even to this day. But I've moved about in a tent, in a tabernacle, and wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So God says to, to, to David through Nathan, he says, I don't need you to build me a house. I've never asked for a house. Don't, don't worry about that, David. But we also see that God says a couple things. He reminds David of, of where he came from. You know, here's David, king of Israel. He's living in, he's on the mountaintop, if you will. He's in victory. And God says, reminds him in verse 8, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, he says, I took you. I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. David, I'm the one that brought you where you are. I'm the one that made you king. You were the shepherd boy with no hope in even your own family. You were born so far down in the list of males in your family, you had no hope but to be a shepherd for the rest of your life. But I did this for you. I took it for you. And he also made a promise to the nation Israel, to the people. In verse 10, he says, I'll appoint a place for my people Israel. I will plant them. They may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. And so he tells David, I'm going to take care of the people too, David. But then he does something absolutely amazing. Absolutely that I think is just unbelievable. Essentially, David is told, no, you can't do something for God. Now, some of us might have a tendency if that were to happen. I want to do something for God. And God says, no. What would you do? Would you get a little whiny about it? Well, I just want to bless you, God. I just want to do something for you. I just, God, I, it's not right that you won't let me do. God, why can't I build you, build you a house? I mean, you shouldn't live in a tent. And God says, no. But God sees David's heart. He understands that David is doing this with the right heart. And he tells David at the end of verse 11, he says, basically, I will make you a house. Through the, through the prophet Nathan, God says, I'm going to make David a house. And he's not going to just make him a house to live in. He's going to make his entire household, his entire lineage, everything about it. I'm going to make it over the generations. And he says this in verse 12. He says, David, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I'll set up your seed after you who will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. We saw that with Solomon last week, David's son. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, forever, forever. I will be his father. He shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I'll chasten him with the rod of men and with the, with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall never depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your, your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. 
Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So the next day, Nathan comes to tell David, and he tells David these incredible things. David, I don't want you to build God a house. You're not supposed to build God a house, but God's going to build you a house. God's going to do something incredible in your life because he recognizes your heart, and he's going to do something that you can't even do for yourself. You see, to build God a house is within David's realm of possibility. But the one thing that we cannot control is our descendants. Do you have any way of controlling your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren? You have no idea what's going to happen to them. But God says to David, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to be watching out for him. Not like Saul. If Solomon makes a mistake, and oh boy, he did. If Solomon makes a mistake, I'm not going to leave him. I'm not going, I'm going to, I'll chasten him. He's not going to get away with it. But I'm not going to depart from him like I did for Saul. This brings David to a place. Can you imagine? Here you are. You're, the, 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 the prophet Nathan is speaking to you or to David from God. And it brings David to the place that we're going to look at tonight in Scripture. And I'm just going to kind of let you in. He's going to bring him to a place of remembrance. It's going to bring him to a place of worship, and it's going to bring him to a place of prayer. He's going to remember what God has done. He's going to worship God for what he's done, and we're going to find that he's going to pray to God for the promises that God has promised him. Real, real important as we look at verse 18 together. Then King David went in, and he sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I? Who am I, O Lord God? What is my house that you have brought me this far? Notice what he does. He went in, so he went into where God was. He went to a place. He's, he, I'm gonna, I, I use the, the idea that he was sitting on his deck or sitting in his house. He leaves that place of comfort. He goes down into the tent where that tabernacle or the, where, where, the, where the ark was, and he goes to meet with God, and he meets with God. And notice what it says. David went in, and he sat before the Lord. He sat before the Lord. That's something we need to learn to do. We need to learn how to sit before the Lord. Now, we're going to see what he did as he was sitting before the Lord, but I was challenged. When's the last time, when's the last time you and I sat before the Lord? When's the last time you blocked off part of your schedule? When's the last time you said, I'm going to some place, whether it be church in prayer on Sunday night, whether it be some quiet place that you like to go, whether it be something, you know, wherever it is that you like to go. When's the last time you made a date to say, I'm going to go sit before God? And I thought, man, we need to do that more often, don't we? If you've ever done it, you know what a blessing it is. There's something really that blesses me when I take time out of my day or my week and I just say, hey, I'm going to go sit before, I'm going to go sit with God for a little while. It's a blessing. But yet it's the same, it's the first thing that we always find time, we always cut out of our schedule. It, there's always things that are more important. Should there be anything more important than our time to sit before the Lord? David's going to sit before God. How cool is this? Look what he says. Who am I, O Lord God? What is my house that you have brought me this far? He's amazed at what God's doing. He's going, who am I? And he's remembering, he's reflecting on who he is. God reminded him of where he came from, and, he, and David's going, who am I? I'm nobody. When I sit before God, I realize I am nobody. You see, when we sit before men, I can go, oh, I'm somebody. Oh, I'm somebody. I'm better than this one. I'm better than that one. And yeah, I'm not as good as that one yet, but I'm working on it. But when we sit in the presence of God, what do we find? We're nobody. We're nobody. We're, we're, we have nothing to offer God except for ourselves. Sitting in the presence of God, who am I? Ask these God these questions. And look at verse 19. And yet, this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. 
God, this is easy for you. You have also spoken on your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Listen, there's a lesson that we need to learn here. In David's eyes, David, and I think we could agree, David had received tremendous blessing from the Lord, right? But he's not elevating himself. The blessings are elevating God in his eyes. Let me say that again. David is being blessed by God. So there's a tendency within our human nature to think, I'm, going to, I'm good, I'm better, God's using me, God's doing something with me. It's really cool, now I'm special. But that's not what's happening in David's life. The fact that he's been blessed tremendously humbles him because he's sitting in the presence of God. And he realizes, who am I? I'm nobody. God could do what he's doing with you and with me and with David, with anybody if he so chose. Don't for a moment, I understand for a moment, I can't think for a moment that I'm anything special. I'm nothing other than just like you and everybody else. I just happen to be the person that God's using in this church to share the scriptures. But it's not because I've done anything special. It's not because I'm any different than you guys. God's just using me. My attitude must remain, who am I? God, you could do this with anybody. If I wasn't here, there would be somebody else here doing exactly the same thing. But I get to walk in this blessing. David remains humble in spite of being used by God. It's something that we need to take note of because as God uses you, whether you step out in a ministry, whether you step out at work, whether you get a chance to lead somebody to Christ or just sharing the gospel with somebody, there's a tendency to elevate our pride. And we need to be like David and realize, who am I? I'm nobody. I'm just a a vessel. I'm an empty vessel that God is filling up and he's using. It really has nothing to do with me. And uh, that's what David says. He realizes this tremendous blessing of God didn't make David greater in his own eyes. It made God greater in his own eyes. So the more that you're used, the greater God should become to you. The greater, the more magnificent, the more amazing, the more splendid, the more I can't believe he's using somebody like me. I can't believe he's using a vessel like me. And that's where David is. Now he says... And yet it was a small thing in your sight, O Lord, and you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner, O Lord God? So in other words, David's recognizing the fact that God is promising him something that is going to continue in the years beyond him. And, he, and basically he says man can't do that. He says, this is, the, is this the manner of man? No, this is the manner of God. Only God can promise what's going to happen in the future. Now, we get the blessing of seeing this And realizing it's all come true. Because exactly what God said he was going to do in David's life, he's done it. Exactly what God said in this this section of scripture that he would do in Solomon's life, he's done it. He's preserved the lineage of David all the way through the line of Christ. Christ will fulfill that lineage of David. We talked about that last week. He will rule and reign forever. God's word has been true. And we get the benefit of looking back on it and going, whoa. He's praising God for the promise. How much more should we be praising God for the proof? You see, he had the promise. We have the proof that it's already happened. It's already taken place. It's like, whoa. But yet sometimes we come to passages of scripture like this and we just say, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, no big deal. That's a big deal. That's a, this is, this, you know, oh, the Bible's not true. Yes, it is. It said this would happen and it's happened. It's something we can't forget. Is this the manner of man? No, only God can do that. We really can't control our 
our descendants after us. We really can't control our children. We can't control our children's children and on to the third and the fourth generation. We can't, we have no control, but God does. God can make these promises. Now, I want to just share something with you because before we go any further, it's important for us to realize, I know some people might say, well, I'd be praising God too if I had a promise like that. You know, if God told me that I was part of some big family and I was going to, you know, do, get something great, then, then that, would, that would cause me to praise God too. But do you know that as believers, we are part of a glorious family? John 1, 12 says, but as many as received him, those are that believe, those that believe him, as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are part of a family. Not only a family like David, you're part of David's family through Christ. It, we have an incredible family lineage that we should hold on to. And, and, and the future for us is pre-planned. It's already laid out. We don't know what will happen tomorrow, but we know what will happen when we die. We know where eternity, we know which side of where we're going to be in eternity. That's, all, that's been promised to us. Oh, but that's a promise that we kind of, well, there's no proof of that, Rob. But that's a promise. There was no proof of David's promise when he got it here. But he was still praising God. You see, I know that as Christians, we become, we become lackadaisical about the promises of God, don't we? Yeah, I'm saved. That's cool. Yeah, I said the prayer. I got baptized. No, I think we miss how powerful that really is. We miss that promise, and God's proven himself reliable in the past through the scriptures that we get to witness. Now when he tells us a promise in the future, we can praise him for it. We can really give him the, the praise that he deserves. Look at verse 20. David says, Now what more can David say to you, for you, Lord God, know your servant? Now what more? This is great. David says, I don't know what else to say, God. You're awesome. I'm nothing. You're everything. I'm little. I, I'm nothing before you. I'm humble. I'm humbled before you. This is the guy that's the poet. He's the one that writes the Psalms. He's the one that plays the, plays the harp. He's, he's left speechless before God. What do I say? How do I, how do I answer you, God? You, you, you're, you're promising me this. And remember, he's praising him for the promise because it hasn't happened. He's praising him for the promise. And look at verse 21. For your word's sake, and according to your own heart, you have done all these things to make your servant know them. He says, for your word's sake, God. God, I know that he, David's recognizing the word, that God's word is important to him. That it matters. He says, for your word's sake, you're writing this down. We're putting this to pay, pen to paper. We're going to record this. It's for your word's sake. According to your heart, you have done all these great things. How often do we want to take just a little bit of credit for what we accomplish in life? We think, you know, I mean, we deserve it. We, we, we studied for the test. We did what we needed to do. We, you know, we made the changes. You know, we, we, we want to get a little bit of credit. We want to little pat ourselves on the back a, a little bit, Right? That's not, the, that's not how a man after God's own heart thinks. He says, Lord, you've done this. You've done these things. All the things in your life, you know, do you give God credit for it? For the things that you accomplish? For your job. If you do well at work and you get a good review from your supervisor, do you, do you give God credit for it? Or do you just think, well, I deserve that. I earned it. I worked. I got up every morning, was here on time. I deserve it. Or does God get the credit for it? You know, we should be giving God the glory for that. David understands. And I want you to notice, too, this is about the third time he said, your servant, to make your servant. David recognizes his position for, before God is as a servant. He's going to say it ten times in this passage of scripture. He's going to refer to himself as a servant, as a servant, your servant, the servant of the Lord, God's servant. You know what a servant is? 
know, you know, big definition, Greek, Hebrew, we're in Hebrew here. What's the word servant mean? It means slave. It means slave. He, David sees himself as a slave of God. He recognizes himself. He says, God, I'm your slave. I'm your servant. I'm your worker. I'm not, I'm nobody. I'm just your, your servant. Who is he in the world? He's the king over all Israel. He's the one that's winning in battle. He's the one that's accomplishing. In the world's eyes right now, David is up top. But in David's eyes, David says, I'm nothing before my God. What a glorious position that he understands. You're, let, you've done this, God. You make it done according. You've done all these great things to your servant to make your servant know them. How cool is it that God told him what was going to happen? He gave him the insight. He gave him the, the prophecy. David, I'm going to build you a house. I'm, I'm telling you what's going to happen. And I could just imagine David sitting over in the tabernacle. I could just imagine him sitting before the Lord just mind blown. Lord, I can't believe it. I can't believe you're talking. You, you spoke to me through Nathan. I can't believe you're going to do this great thing in my life. It's amazing, Lord. Men can't even. The, the most powerful man in the world couldn't promise the things that you're promising to me. It's amazing, Lord. Look at verse 22. We're going to see him turn to worship. Therefore, you are great, O Lord. For there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. He says, God, you are great. There's nobody like you. We've heard all about the Canaanite gods. We've heard all about the false gods. We've heard of all the Baals and the Molechs. We've heard all about the things that they're doing. All about that. And there is no God like you, Lord. There is none like you. Who is like, and in verse 23, he's going to turn to us about the people. Who's like your people? Like Israel. The one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people. To make for himself a name and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land. Before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. David is recognizing God's, he's recognizing Israel's special standing before God. He's basically he's reminding God, you chose Israel. There's no other nation like Israel. God chose the nation Israel to represent himself to the rest of the world. I will be your God, you will be my people. You're going to be my people. You're going to represent God to the rest of the world. And David recognizes that. He recognizes it like that. He says, he says, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds. He, David says, God, the things that you've done through the nation of Israel are for you. They're so that you will get glory, so that you will get praise. Do them for you. In verse, uh, verse 24, for you have made your people Israel your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Important verse here. It says, God says, David says to God, you, God, have made Israel your very own people until the church comes along, right? No, that's not what it says. You have made Israel your very own people forever, forever, forever. You see, there's a popular doctrine in the church that, that, in, that, that the church, meaning the believers, the, the bride of Christ, has replaced the nation Israel. It's called replacement theology. That's not the case here at all. I think the nation Israel, and we did this when we studied the book of Revelation, the nation Israel is still the chosen people of God, and they will remain the chosen people of God. The church will be removed at some point in the rapture of the church, and then God will begin to work in the hearts of those Israelites, those Jewish people who will become, many will become believers. But it says here that he is, they are his people 
It says in uh, verse 24, you have made your people, Israel, your very own people forever. Forever. Forever means forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. Now, look at 25. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. Now, this is important. David has previously, we saw the worship taking place. He talks about how great God is and how awesome he is, what he's done for the nation Israel. And now he kind of moves into a position of prayer. And I want you to take notice of what he's praying. Look what he's praying there. Now, O Lord, the word, the word, what's the word? I'm going to build you a family. The word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. This is important. David is praying the promises of God. In other words, he's saying to God, you said you're going to do this, now do it. We need to learn that. We need to learn that. As believers, we need to be able to dig into the scriptures, pull out the promises of God that apply to us in our life in a particular season, and we need to pray it. We need to pray those things. We don't just take the promises of God, oh, God knows, he'll get to it. No, he wants to be reminded of his promises. He wants us to claim the promises of God and live on those and, and depend on those and rely on those. Well, what are the promises of God? Well, what are they? Do you have promises of God in your life? Do you have things and verses that God's given you in difficult seasons? Do you have promises that you hold on to and you know? And Do you pray them? That's what David's doing here. I'm going to give you just a few of them. I just jotted down a few. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. That's God's promise. Do you know that? So when Satan tells you how bad you are, and Satan tells you you're not a very good Christian because you did this, or you thought that, or you said this, or you blew it here, or you blew it there, do you know that you can come back and say, no, no, I'm a new creation. That's the old man. That passed away. That's a promise of God. God, would you tell him? Would you, would you, I'm a new creation, God. Would you remind God of that? John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John 1, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise of God. The next time you feel like you're guilty, you've sinned, you've blown it, and you're dragging around feeling guilty about what you did, about what you said, about what you thought, do you know, can you, can you remind yourself and remind the Lord that you've been, you've been cleansed of that sin? You repent from that sin and you move on from that sin? You, you know, our, if, you, if, if the situation that you're feeling, if the way that you're feeling, if the guilt that you're feeling, if it's drawing you further from God, it's not from God. The repentant heart, the heart that says, you know, that wants forgiveness is going to be pushed closer to God. And that's what we're looking at. We're reminding ourselves of these things. How about Proverbs 3, 5 and 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he might direct your path. He doesn't say that. He will direct your path. Not sure which way to go in life? Confused on a decision? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your path. Well, Rob, how do I do that? What if I am confused? I'm, on, I'm in that place tonight. I've got a decision to make. I don't know what to do. I would suggest you go sit before the Lord. I would suggest you spend some time in worship, so spend some time in prayer, and I would suggest that you hold on to those promises of God. And I'm going to tell you a secret. When God gives you a promise out of his word, whether it comes out of my mouth from the Bible or whether you read it on your own, write it down because you're going to need it because you're going to forget it. 
because we're not going to be able to remember them. Write them down. Put them on a note card. Put them in your car. Put them on your computer. Make it your Bible verse, your password. Whatever it is, remember those promises because you need those things. And the chances are, if you don't have your weapon handy when you need to fight the battle, if you can't find it, it's not going to be any good to you. It needs to be relevant. It needs to be present right there with you. Put it in your wallet. Put it in your purse. Make a little list of them if you need to. Find out what the promises of God are. Romans 8, uh, 38 and 39, I'm just going to summarize it. Nothing separates us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when you feel like you're being separated, when you feel like God's not with you, God, where are you, God? Nothing separates us. He'll never leave us or forsake us, the word says. You know, remember these statements, remember these promises, because you're going to need to go back to them. And when you, you ever feel like, well, God just can't use me. I'm just, I'm just old, broke down Rob. You know, and there's nobody that, you know, I don't know what God even sees in me. I, you know, I just... Look, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing. Be confident of this very thing. Look, be confident of what I'm about to tell you. You ready? That he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. He, be confident of this, that he who began this good work in you will complete it. He won't fall short. He doesn't have a bunch of half-done projects laying around. He will complete the project, and you're the project, I'm the project, he will complete it in, in the, when he comes back or when you meet him face to face. Aren't you glad about that? That's like, I don't have to worry about it. He, I think I have to do the work. He's doing the work in me. He will complete it. David here in verse 25 says, Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant, concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. When's the last time we prayed, Lord, would you do as you've said you would? When, can we be bold enough to go before the Lord and, and say, Lord, you said you'd God, you, you know, I, I don't know which way to go in this situation. And you said, if I trust in you, and, you know, with all my heart, and I lean on my own, lean not on my own understanding and I acknowledge you, you will direct my path. So I'm waiting for you. Will you be bold enough to say that back to him? You should. That's what he wants to hear. He loves the fact that you're telling him his word back. It's not, a, it's not being, you know, don't do it in a sarcastic way. Don't do it in a, like a, you know, humble. We need to be humble. We want per- when we go before him, we're very, we're very humble like David is. Who am I? I'm nothing in the presence of God. Who am I? Who are you? We're nothing in the presence of God. And then look at verse 26. It turns right back into praise. So let your name be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. I want you to notice first that the object of David's worship is God. The object of David's worship is God. And that's important because when you come before the Lord to worship, okay, he needs to be the focus of that worship. If you'll notice, the songs that we pick and the songs that we choose are about God. How great is God? How awesome is God? The focus of the song is about God. If there's too many I statements in there, it becomes about me. You know, I like to sing the song, I Surrender All, right? I surrender, no, terrible singer. I surrender all. But I have to wonder, God's going, no, you don't. No, you don't. You just want to surrender all. We should really change it. I wish I could surrender all. You know, but that song, while it's a moving song and it's a prayer, it's not worship. 
It's, it's my heart crying out to God, I want to do this for you. I'm trying to do this. What worship is, is when we take God and he becomes the focus. It's about him. It's not about us. There's way too many Christian songs that are written today that are about me and about you. And they need to be focused on God. Not that it's not good music. It's great to listen to. Just don't mistake it for worship music. You know, there's lots of Christian music that's fantastic. But in order to be worship of God, it has to be about God. You see, I think there's a time when there's a, there's a thing that's creeping in where our music, it tends to be about us sometimes. You know, it, you just look at what, when you, when you sing the lyrics to a song, find, ask yourself, who's this song about? Is it about me and what I'm doing for God? Or is it about God and what he's done for me? What is the, where does the praise come from? It comes when I realize what God has done for me. Who am I? I'm nobody. I'm nobody, but look what God's done for me. He's chosen to save me. He's given me the promise that he's going to finish the work that he started in me. He's told me my old man has passed away. He's told me that my sins are forgiven. He's told me that I've got the promise of the hope of eternity. If I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm a son of the, of the family of Christ. I'm, we're sons and daughters of the faith. Aren't we all children of God? No, no, only those that believe in Jesus Christ are children of God. That's what the Bible says. But those that have chosen to believe in him and put their faith and their trust in him, yes, we're part of a family that has an amazing lineage all the way back to David, and we're going to be able to spend eternity with him. How cool is that? That should create, that should just, as I say that, that should just generate praise in your heart. You should be like, whoa, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty amazing. So David here, is, he's, his, his focus is his worship is, is on God. And he also, notice what he says, for you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, for you, God, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. David says, God, you've revealed this to me. Do you ever wonder why, as Christians, we can look at science and, and somebody can say, well, evolution, and we just look at it and go, it makes no sense. It doesn't, you know, evolution is a, to a believer, it just, it, no, we didn't evolve. It's impossible. How come you guys, how come non-believers can't see this? Because God hasn't revealed it to them because they don't have faith. Hebrews 11.3 tells us they don't have the faith. You have to have the faith in God before it's going to be revealed to you. That's why they can't get it. So David's recognizing this comes from God. God, you've revealed this to me. When you get a, a promise of God, the ones I just read off to you, those are my promises. You've got to go find your own promises. When you get a promise from God through a message or through the word, and you get that promise and you hold on to it, that becomes yours. Part of your praise should be thanking God for revealing it to you. Thanking God for speaking it to you. Now I want to show you, this is really cool. Look at the last part of that verse. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. Notice what it says. Pray this prayer. Pray this prayer. It doesn't say say this prayer. It doesn't say recite this prayer. It doesn't say think this prayer. It doesn't say know this prayer. It says pray this prayer. Well, I thought if it was a prayer, it was automatically prayed. Not necessarily. I can say a prayer and I'd not be praying it to God. I can recite a prayer and not be praying to God. I can come up here at the end of worship and pray a prayer and not be directing it up to the Lord. What he's saying is, pray this prayer. And that word, uh, that, that, that word pray means to intercede for. You're speaking to, you're, you're praying a prayer directly to God. You see, it's possible in our minds just to recite things, just to say things. But it's not prayer. If it were, everything we would think about would be a prayer. But what he's saying is, I've realized that 
God has given me this heart. And notice he's praying from his heart. From my heart. I found it in, in, in his heart to pray this prayer to you. Prayer has to come from your heart. What happens if you write out a good prayer? You write something out and it's not really from your heart. Or you just read a prayer that somebody has give, written down for you. It, it, if it's not from your heart, it's not really your prayer. You're just saying it. When I want to pray a prayer before the Lord, I'm going to sit before the Lord. I'm going to worship before the Lord. And I'm going to share with God what's on my heart. In its simplest form, David is just sitting and talking with God. I could just imagine he sits back in the tabernacle. Maybe there was a stool there. Maybe he's on his face. Maybe he's kneeling wherever he is. God, who am I? I can't believe you've done this for me. It's amazing, God. I mean, and, you, and you, you're taking care of the people of Israel. And you've done, Lord, would you just, I know you said you would, but I want you to do this. Go ahead and go do it, Lord. Just, he's praying. He's interceding. He's having a conversation with God. So let's not make our prayers just recited. Let's pray our prayers. It's a novel idea. Let's pray our prayers rather than just say our prayers. And now in verse 28, he says, And now, O Lord God, you are God, your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Notice the three things he says. Three facts that David gives us about God. Number one, you are God. There's no question in David's mind. You are God. Number two, your words are true. Your words are true. Do we really believe that the words of God in this book are true? The greatest lie that we can believe, ah, it's archaic. Ah, there's been a translation issue. Ah, there's this, there's that. Listen, it doesn't, it doesn't, if, if we fall into that camp, we're missing the promises of God because we can't believe the very things we're supposed to be promising. Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, and reproach. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. When we take this Bible and we say, this is God's word, you will change how you read it. When you take this Bible and you go, ah, it's just a history book. It becomes just a history book to you. But when you take this Bible and you say, this is God's word. I have a chance to wake up tomorrow morning, open God's word, and see what God would have to say to me. I have a chance to do that. So do you. If I really value this, I'm going to want to do it. I'm going to want, I'm going to, want to spend my time in God's word. Where do we hear from God? In his word. That's where we're going to hear from, in his word. He says, your words, your God, your words are true. Your words are true. I can look at this, just this passage alone. The promises that he made at the beginning of this chapter, they've all come true. When David declares this, they hadn't come true. How much more should we be praising now that we have the proof of it? It's all written down for us. You are God, your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. He's reminding him again, God, you've promised this to me. Lord, I want you to do this for me. You've told me this, would, this is going to take place. I'm holding you to it. Do you hold God to his promises? He would like you to. There's no reason that you can't. But I think that as Christians, and I mean Christians as a whole, we don't really know the promises of God. I think where we fall short is we really don't have the promises of God. Because we don't recognize this as the word of God, we don't go to seek God here, and we don't get the promises of God out of here. Those of you that do write down the promises of God, those of you that do hold on to them, do they matter in, t in difficult times? 
Of course they do. Do they, do they, are, are they life-changing when you realize some things? Absolutely. I, I can't tell you how many times my life has been changed by something I read in the scriptures. I never saw that before. I thought, wow. And I hold on to those things. His prom, you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, in verse 29, let it please you to bless the house of your servant. Let it please you, God, to bless the house. That it, that it, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. Again, he's reminding God of what God said. Now, don't fall prey to the fact that there's no promises for you. This book is filled with the promises of God for you individually. I just read to you one, two, three, four, five of them, five five promises to God in there. But if you haven't gone to the Lord in your quiet time and got them, then they're not going to be yours, they're mine. And you can write mine down, and they might help in a situation, but you need to hear from God in your quiet time. How do I do that, Rob? You sit before the Lord. You find that place. You find that location. Maybe it's, you know, on Sunday night in prayer. You got, what do you guys do there on Sunday night? What, 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 what's, it's all crazy? No, it's real simple. You know what we do? We sit before the Lord. We get together. We have some prayer requests. We open up in prayer. And then generally, we all kind of spread out, and we sit quietly before the Lord, and we pray. We praise, we worship, we pray. We sit quietly sometimes to hear what the Lord might say to us. It's real simple. God wants to meet with you. And you don't have to do it on a Sunday night prayer. You can do it on a Monday morning or on a Tuesday in the middle of the night or anytime you want. But you have to make the time to sit before the Lord. David left the house and he went to where the Lord was and he sat before him. You don't have to come here because the Lord is all around us. But you do have to take the time to turn off your phone Turn off your television. Turn off all the stuff that gets in the way and say, you know what? I'm going to sit before the Lord. And when you sit, spend some time in worship, spend some time in prayer, and spend some time remembering what God has done. Because sometimes we forget how much work God really has done in our life. We look at where we're at right now and the problems and the things that are going on right now and we forget where we came from. Don't ever forget to go back and say, this is where I was. I was where David was. And now, here's where I am. Look what God's done. In humility, who am I? Who am I before the Lord? I'm nobody. I'm an empty vessel that the Lord fills up and uses. Who are you before the Lord? You're nobody. We're nobodies together. But there we're vessels that say, God, well, God, you can use me. And the really cool thing is he does. He, when you offer yourself up to be used, he'll use you. He'll start preparing. He'll start changing. He'll start moving. He'll start doing things. We heard the testimony of prayer requests being answered tonight. God's working in amongst our fellowship. He's working in the lives of the people. It's the greatest testimony a church could ever have. God is doing something. Not with the church, with the people. That's where the heart lies. God wants to work with people. The reason God's doing something with the church is because he's doing something with the people. It's not the organization, it's the people. It's because God's working in your life that we see the church growing and we see the church, God doing things with the church. But don't ever get too cocky about it. Because just like David, as you see the blessings, he realizes he's less in the eyes of God, not more. Not more. 